when basketball coaches uh, fail to deliver for their team or their organization uh, and the, the team doesn't make it very far in the season or the postseason, uh, often they're on the hot seat and then they're out. And we see that all the time across all the different sports. When CEOs uh, are held accountable by their board for why the company's not generating enough profit as they projected, guess who's out? The CEO. When... Um, People do different things in every organization and across every level that uh, people over them don't exactly see as working. Uh, Very often we see they're shown the door. And we're used to seeing that over and over in society. When you don't meet a certain standard, when you don't measure up as was projected, when your level fails to be the level desired, uh, we see negative things happen. We see uh, termination in different forms, different levels, different ways. And that's what we're used to, right? We're, we're used to seeing decisive action. We're used to seeing immediate consequence that is, is going to stand no matter what is said on the part of the person being disciplined or being let go, no matter how sincere they might be in, in owning that mistake or apologizing, very often it doesn't matter. The decision is final, it's done, and the organization moves on away from that individual or those groups of people, right? That's what we're used to seeing in life in our world, in our culture, in our experience, in our reality. And that is why whenever we see the opposite, whenever we see grace, which is getting what we don't deserve, or when we see mercy, not getting what we deserve, when we see those things, it's hard for us to really buy in. It's, it's hard to engage in those things because that's so opposite of what we're used to seeing all throughout our lives on every level. And that's one thing that makes the story of Jonah so absolutely incredible. Much more than a fish story, Jonah's story is one of repeated grace. And it's, it's radical grace. It's in some ways, scandalous grace, considering the way Jonah is, the way he acts and reacts. And and so all through Jonah's personal bio, which is what the book of Jonah really is, it's all about the prophet, it's all about him, Uh, on every page there is is a picture of grace. And it's it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and it's, it's in some cases just unbelievable on a human standpoint. And uh, certainly this chapter is no different as we jump into chapter 3. We have seen now in this story and and in this uh, dialogue with Jonah and God and and some of the things he has had to say and what he said to the sailors and and all, we have seen the character of Jonah the man, Jonah the prophet, and certainly it's lacking. Um, We saw early on that God gives a very specific call. Jonah, my prophet, my servant, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. Uh, the coming judgment that will happen if they don't repent. And he didn't say if they don't repent, but it certainly implied. Because Jonah reacted in a way that shows us he understood God was giving Nineveh a big second chance. And that wasn't going to work for Jonah. So he said, all right, fine. If that's how you're going to be, if you're going to be willing to show mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh, I'm out. 
I'm not just out of this particular mission. I'm out from you. And so he, he tries to get as far away from the calling and from God who gave him that calling as he could. Went completely to the end of the world, literally. But God was there. And long story short, we know that Jonah says, you know what, just throw me overboard, stop this storm that God has sent to us. I'd rather die than repent right now. Plunge me into the water. There he goes. He thinks, all right, I finally outsmarted God. Nope, fish swallows him up. While he's in the fish, he actually exhibits a spirit of repentance, which God responds to, and responds in a very big way by um, having the fish well, you know the story. Uh, he, he's now out of the fish. He's on dry land, and that's where we, we pick up in Jonah chapter 3 this morning. So look with me there in uh, your copy of God's Word, whether that's uh, bound or digital, and uh, let's see uh, what is transpiring now in the life and the ministry of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. This is word for word exactly like the first call on Jonah's life and on his ministry when he was still back in Israel. And he said, go to, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. And Jonah said, nope, actually, I think I'm going to go down to Joppa, and I'm going to try to get a ship sailing to Tarshish, because that's as far away as I can get. Same exact call. And aren't, aren't you glad this morning? I sure hope you are. I'm glad that God doesn't just give up on us, even when we have given up on what he has told us to do. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you glad that, that he is faithful, even when we are faithless? I'm very thankful for that. Um, I'm so glad that after all the times of me doing very much what Jonah did, where I know God is saying, do this, go here, say this, say that, don't do that, stop doing this, all those times where I said, I hear you, but no, I think I'm going to keep going my own way. All those times and all the ways I've done that in my life, God never once has abandoned me. Never once has he crumpled me up like I deserve and thrown me away and said, all right, I'm done with you, on to the next servant. He's never done that in my life. And if you're here this morning and you are in Christ, I know that's your story too. That he hasn't just crumpled you up, thrown you away, and then moved on from you. You're here uh, and many of you I know are still serving him faithfully, which is a testimony not of your goodness, but of his grace, right? That's what we all have the testimony of. We can say with Jonah, yeah, I got a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. You know, um, early on in, in my ministry, uh, after my years of being a youth pastor at my home church, Mount Tabor, um, there had been some things that happened, and uh, I took them way more personally than I should have. I was incredibly immature, and um, I mean, they were hurtful things, right? But, but I should have been able to get over the things instead of dwelling on them. I didn't. I internalized and, and made it all about me, and I allowed myself to get really burned out in, on ministry as a whole. And so um, events transpired by God's uh, or, ordering and, and his, uh, his sovereignty clearly on display, especially as you look back. And we ended up moving from here uh, to Virginia. And uh, I wasn't done with church, 
But at that point, I was done with ministering in the church. And I told Leanne, said, you know what, we, I know we need to find a church. That's fine with me, but I just want you to know wherever we go, I just want to sit. I don't want to serve in the church in any way. We'll go, we'll attend, but then we'll get out and we'll, that's it. You know, we'll, we'll do the church thing, but that's all I'm interested in. And being um, the gentle spirit she is, she didn't say, you moron. <laughs> Even though I know she was thinking it. And would have been right to say that. But she just said, okay. Um, and, you know, she, she, uh, she knows God pretty well. And I think she knew right then that that wasn't going to be the end of the story. So she just let it lay. And so uh, that was my heart. And, and we went to church, to church, to church. And so, man, I feel for you guys when you, when you search for a different church. You know, you go to a different area. You move into a different place. And you, you look for a church or God forbid something bad happens at the church you've been part of, so you're looking for a different church. I feel for you. I know the pain that that is. That is not fun. That is very tedious and tiring. And so we went through church after church after church. Finally, I told Leanne, just, just pick one, and I'll be fine. I was really the spiritual leader in the home, let me tell you. I was doing great. And, uh, and so I was ready just to settle and we went to this picnic for her work, and this person came up to us and said, hey, I don't know if you found a church yet, but let me tell you about Faith Baptist, Covington, Virginia, Faith Baptist. And so they started talking to us about it, and Leanne was getting really excited, and she said, hey, we'll try it this Sunday. And I looked at her and was like, oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, we'll be there. And so I went in with a bitter attitude and, and just a, a bad spirit, sat down, and within, no joke, within 15 minutes... I looked at Leanne and said, this is the church we're supposed to be at. And it was. And within a couple months, long story, really short, the pastor literally jumped in front of our car as we were leaving the parking lot and said, hey, I heard you have youth ministry experience and pastoral ministry experience. I would like to talk to you about joining the staff here. Wow, I guess you guys don't see the the drama of that. I mean, to me... Knowing what I had said to God and to my wife, I'm done serving. I don't want any more serving. I don't want to work on staff. To have a pastor literally stop my car saying, I really think we need to talk about serving. I mean, that's pretty dramatic, don't you think? Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't outrun God's pursuit of me for a very specific purpose. And and I did end up serving there for many years, had a great great experience. God doesn't just give up on us. And it's, it's tremendous. And it's, it's totally not deserved. And it should never cease to amaze you that he will keep coming to you and saying, hey, my call is still here. My call is still on you. I still want you to serve me. I still want you to do this. We're not done. It's a great thing. And so that's what Jonah experienced. And verse 3, different from how chapter 1 went, Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. A couple things that 
that we see here uh, in these verses with what Jonah does and what he says. And, and that is um, one thing that stands out to me about this that I see, and, and it's something that um, I think we all need to remember, and that's that repentant people make great preachers of repentance. Repentant people make great preachers of repentance. When you and I understand what repentance really is, that it's not just, "Uh uh-oh, I got caught. Oh, I guess I dropped the ball again. I'm sorry. Oh, well, that's not repentance. Repentance is seeing our sin the way God sees it, which is hideous and horrible and, and something that uh, is an offense against his very character and his holiness. Seeing it as the very reason why Jesus had to leave his throne on high and all the worship of angels and intimate, constant fellowship with his Father, why he left that, took on human flesh, all to take that flesh and put it on a cross. It's all because of sin. So it's seeing sin in all of its hideousness. And agreeing with God on what that is. It's also knowing that apart from his grace and mercy, we have no hope in and of ourselves to know and to embrace his holiness, to be embraced by him, to have a relationship with him, that we are totally destitute apart from him. And it's, it's realizing that only in him will we find what we're looking for, that it's not going to be found in sin. And so it's making a conscious decision to then reject that, turn away from all those things that we were doing that was opposite of God, opposite of his character, opposite of his will, and saying, you know what, I'm abandoning that and I'm embracing you. That's repentance. And and once we do that, as we saw last week, God responds to repentance. And he receives us with open arms. And he pours out love and he pours out grace and he pours out mercy. Not because we deserve it, but because of who he is and and really because of what Jesus did to make that possible. And when we understand that and we experience his forgiveness and we experience his mercy and his grace in place of judgment, in place of wrath, in place of him throwing us away, when we experience all the opposite that we do, as 1 John 1, 9 promises, that if we confess our sins, repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we experience that ourselves, we are then much more likely and much more desiring to go out and proclaim the need for repentance to everyone else. And it won't be, if we really are getting repentance and we're really understanding how undeserving we are of God responding to that repentance, when we really register that, we won't proclaim the need for repentance to other people out of a sense of judgment is ready to rain down on you and I'm going to sit back and love every minute. That won't be our approach. Our approach will be one of love and, and of grace and of mercy and of compassion like we have received from God ourselves. 
So repentant people, genuinely repentant people, make great preachers of repentance. And the other thing that stands out to me that I'm also just so thankful for, um, you see it in verse 4, when Jonah began to go through the city and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, it stands to reason, it's very likely that there was a lot more he said, um, depending, especially with what we see in the terms of the response from Nineveh. I mean, right here you don't see anything about well, God himself's not even mentioned. You don't see anything about the repentance that is absolutely part of this, that you know, God is done with your wickedness. God is done with your violence. Your sin has risen up to him, and he's ready to drop the hammer. But if you turn from that wickedness, you turn from that evil, you turn to God, you recognize him as the one true God, he will withhold judgment. You don't see that here. That's not mentioned I think, most likely, there was more said. However, the central part of what Jonah had to say still must have been this. This was still his driving point. Judgment, 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 judgment. We also can see that that's very likely the case because of how Jonah responds in the final chapter. The way Jonah reacts to Nineveh's response shows that he was heavy on the judgment part. And no matter what he preached, even if this was all he said, maybe that is, maybe this is all he said. If so, he said like five words. I mean, in Hebrew, what we're reading here is five words. That's it. And so let's say that is the case. Let's say that's all he said and he didn't go any further. Let's say he did purposely omit anything about repentance, anything about God's character, his grace, his desire to not judge Nineveh the way he was ready to do if they didn't turn. Let's say he omitted all that and this was really all he said. What that shows all of us, what that says to all of us, it's so encouraging. It's that you don't have to be eloquent to proclaim the gospel. You just have to be obedient and faithful. You don't have to be eloquent to proclaim and share the gospel and to talk about your faith and and to talk about all you've received by grace, by mercy, by Jesus. You don't have to be flowery in your words. You don't have to have every single aspect of all theology down pat to where you could, you could recite it like a seasoned PhD. You don't have to have that. You don't even, even have to have every Bible verse memorized. You just need to be faithful and obedient to the call on your life as a Christian that every Christian has to be an ambassador for the one who saved you. You have to just be faithful and available for God to use you and to speak through you, as 2 Corinthians 5 says every believer is, the oracle of God through which he communicates reconciliation and restoration, just like you've received. You have to just be faithful to tell people about the amazing grace that you have received and are experiencing every day of your life. You don't have to be eloquent. Isn't that good news? That God will, will use even your, your meager, minimal conversation. He'll use you right where you are, who you are. He'll use all of that, and he'll still get glory from it, and he'll accomplish what he desires to accomplish. Uh, it, it's an amazing relief. It's an amazing freedom to know that everything doesn't rest on us. I mean, church... 
we need to understand, we don't save anybody. The gospel saves. The God of the gospel saves. And so as recipients of the gospel, as people who have believed in it and received it and are now in Christ, we just have to be his mouthpiece, his instrument. He does the work through us. We're the, we're the tool that he uses. We're the instrument. We're the device that he speaks through and communicates through. But it's all him. That takes the pressure off of you. It's, it's all the work of God. And, and we need to be faithful not just to, to um, speaking, but we need to be faithful in what we speak. We need to make sure that we do put the attention on God and that we are faithful to his word on what he says. Because repentance absolutely involves addressing the sin problem. Repentance can't happen unless you acknowledge and admit sin. But that's only half of it. The other aspect of repentance is that there's a remedy for that sin. There's a rescue for that sin. And it's Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. So it's, it's turning to the word of God and showing the sin issue, showing the sin problem that has been a problem for all of us from Adam and Eve on. But it's pointing to the answer to Jesus Christ. And as we do that, as we're faithful to his word and as we're faithful to him, here's what God says in his word. Isaiah 55, 11. I love, I love this promise. It says this, that his, his word will never return to him empty. God says, my word will never return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish all that I desire and the purpose for which I sent it out. That's, that's good news. That's encouraging. If we're faithful to his word and we open our mouths and they're filled with his word, he is faithful to bring fruit from it. Even if we don't see it right away, he's faithful. He's faithful. And we don't have to be eloquent about all that. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, let's, let's look now at, uh, at the reaction of Nineveh. It's incredibly powerful, especially if Jonah did indeed limit everything he said to just that little bit. And really, even if he didn't, even if he did go farther than that, and we just don't have it recorded, no matter what, it's still amazing, absolutely powerful, their response, considering what Nineveh was like. They were the most evil, wicked empire of the day, of the world. Uh, Their wickedness was just indescribable. And and yet, look at what happens. Verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh, believed in God. And they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat on ashes. He issued a proclamation and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. Isn't that just beautiful? See, repentance is never just lip service. Repentance, if it's genuine, will always result in action. 
Always, every time. And if it doesn't result in observable, noticeable action, difference in direction, a change in course, if that doesn't happen, then it's a sure sign repentance was not real. Because real repentance will always result in definitive action the other way. Always. And we see that with Nineveh. And what, what Nineveh here shows us and, and what it challenges us with, I mean, the reaction and response of Nineveh from the least to the greatest, from the king on down, guys, th- this preaches to us. I mean, their response preaches. And you see these wicked people actually being now um, even used by God as, as great preachers of, of challenge to us. I mean, their heart and their reaction and their response go far beyond even Jonah uh, to be used of God to really speak to our hearts and to challenge us right where we're at. Um, because we see in, in Jonah, especially as we wrap up next week with chapter 4, we see that his perspective, even though he did what God told him to do, even though we see him actually willing to go and go into Nineveh and proclaim the message God gave him, a far cry from chapter 1, it's good. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that we see a difference in Jonah's uh, choices here. But we will, we will see that even in that, his perspective was still way off. His view of God was still not in the right place. His confidence in the grace and mercy of God, his confidence in what we would refer to as the gospel, is still lacking. Because the gospel, the good news, is, yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, his judgment is just to fall on you. His judgment and his wrath on all of your sin is deserved and right and fitting, and there's nothing you can do to avoid it and to lift it off of yourselves. That's the first half of the gospel. But the second half of the gospel, what makes it such good news is that, but God, who is rich in mercy, who loved the world so much that he sent his only son so that anyone, everyone who believes in him, in that son who was sent, will not perish, though they deserve it, will not taste the wrath of God, though it's fitting and just, but will have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That though the wrath of God should fall on us, it fell on Jesus instead so that we never have to experience it. We never have to taste it because he tasted it for us. He drank the cup of wrath in our place so that we can taste the cup of of mercy and grace and love and favor and acceptance. But we see, even though Jonah knew God to be that way and and for God to be a God of grace and mercy and a, a God who responds to repentance, which he himself experienced, we'll see later on that he obviously was not really in touch with that. He, he still wasn't looking at things the right way. And the question that we have to ask, it's really the questions that are raised by what we see happening in Nineveh. And it's the question that Jonah should have stopped and asked himself, and he clearly didn't. It's questions he should have considered 
And if he had stopped and considered it, he would have seen, oh, wow, my heart's not right. Look at, look at this response from these wicked people. Look at the, the response of, of them turning to God. Look at the work and act of God that's on display here. This isn't my preaching that's doing this. This isn't what I said. I didn't say very much at all. And look what's still happening. Look at the wave of God's work that's coming through these people. Look at what God is doing. Look at his power on display through grace. Wow, my heart's clearly not right or I would be celebrating. I'd be overjoyed at this. Because this was a miraculous, supernatural movement of God in these people. Especially considering who the messenger was. And and all that they did and all they responded and how how passionately and, and how universally they responded in the the humility on display. This was a work of God. And so the questions that should have come into Jonah's mind and heart and the questions that should come to our mind and heart every single time we go about proclaiming the gospel, every time that we look at people out there, every time we look at people and we're tempted to classify them in a certain way as those people. Every time we look at, at certain individuals or groups of people and we are so tempted to just write them off as being totally unreachable, totally beyond the reach of God's grace and mercy, someone that would never respond to the gospel, just like Jonah thought about all the Ninevites, every time we're tempted to do the same thing and have the same poisonous attitude as Jonah did, we need to ask these Questions. And the first, the first question is this. How big is our view of God? How big is our view of God? Do we really believe that God is big enough to breach any and every barrier? Do we really believe that God is powerful enough to reach even into the hardest of hearts and crack the armor and penetrate it and change the heart and bring that heart to life? Do we really believe that? How big is our view of God? Do we believe that his grace is really greater than all of our sin and everyone else's? Or do we believe there are just some people who are the exception to his grace? Church, let's be honest. Many times we act as if we believe that. Many times we operate as if God's grace will go only so far, but oh my, it just won't reach that. It won't overcome that obstacle. But let me tell you something. Let me remind you of something. There is no limit to what God can and will do according to his good pleasure, according to his perfect sovereignty, according to his powerful grace that is greater than all of our sin, and according to our faithfulness to be his witness to the world. There is no limit to what he can and will accomplish and what he desires to accomplish through you, through me. No limit at all. I remember all through my life there's been individuals that that I have prayed for personally or prayed for with groups of people for years and years and years, and it seemed like nothing was ever going to happen, and and all the temptation was just to give up. But uh, by God's grace, I didn't or we didn't, and we saw people that everyone else would have written off and everyone else had stopped praying for long ago, one day something happened, something clicked, something triggered, and they were made new and alive in Jesus Christ. Uh, one of them, uh, one of the greatest stories I'll never forget is, is my dear uh, friend Rajesh 
Kumar Michelini and his dad, Bose Michelini, which is a surgeon here in Beckley. Many of you know him. They're like second parents to me, Kim and Bose. Raj and I were like brothers. We prayed for him for years for Bose to come to Christ with tears and with begging God. And it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And then one day, Raj came into school. You would have thought he was given a billion dollars, and even if he had it, it wouldn't have touched the joy he had when he told all of us, my dad became a Christian. And, and I mean, there are so many other stories like that. You have them, I have them, we know them. Maybe you're one of those stories where someone prayed for you and you heard the gospel and you heard the gospel, but you rejected and rejected and rejected. But then one day, because God didn't give up on you, you were awakened by his spirit in the new life and you've never been the same. There's no limit. How big is our view of God? That's what we have to ask. How big is our view of God? And right along with that, we have to ask this question. How much confidence do we have in the gospel? How big is our view of God? And how much confidence do we have in his gospel? Has to be something we honestly ask ourselves. Do we, do we really see it, the gospel, the same way as Paul himself did? When he wrote about the gospel in Romans 1.16, no doubt thinking back to his own personal testimony, his own personal experience with the gospel, when he said this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed? Why are you not tempted to, to kind of hide it or repackage it or modify it or alter it? Why do, you, why do you feel like it doesn't need any help? It can stand on its own, Paul. Why? He said this, because it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that? Do you see it in the same way? Do you really? Because here's the thing. If we really have a big and proper view of God, and if we really have confidence in the gospel, that it can stand on its own, that it in itself is enough to bring a soul, no matter how far from God, to God, if we really believe that, then we will place no buts or ifs on our command, our commission to go out and preach the gospel. If we really believe in a high view of God that he can cross and break through every barrier, if we really have confidence that the gospel is enough, we don't need to add to it or alter it, that it is enough for salvation because it's the very power of God, if we really believe that, we'll place no limits or exceptions on being obedient and faithful to the Great Commission. We'll just go, and we'll just do, and we'll just speak. It doesn't matter who it is. I love this about my mother-in-law, Nancy Martin, Leanne's mom. This woman, as, as meek and humble as she is, let me tell you something. She is fearless when it comes to proclaiming the gospel. It doesn't matter who it is. She'll go up to a 6'10 drug dealer, gang leader, and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about him. She'll just sit down on a chair, never see this person in her life, and she'll start talking to him about Jesus doesn't matter. She'll go to any dark alley. I mean, <laughs> she has zero fear and 100% confidence in the gospel and in her God and in availability to him using her to speak truth and life into someone else. It's amazing. It's amazing. That's how it should be for us. Oh, church, may God help us to have the same perspective like Paul did, uh, to the same belief in his power, in God's power, the same belief in the power of his gospel. Because the gospel doesn't require our help to make it better or easier to swallow. Well, 
All that being said, let's wrap up. Verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. There's grace. And don't see inconsistency or contradiction on God's part in verse 10, knowing that he had said to Jonah, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. I'm going to wipe it out if they don't repent. That's what's coming. Judgment is is ready to fall. Don't see contradiction there because God says in his word elsewhere in Jeremiah 18, 7 through 8, he says this, at one moment, this is God's word, okay? His word directly. At one moment, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However... If that nation about which I have made that announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do it. See, here's God being faithful to his word, faithful to his promise. Jonah didn't see it that way, didn't change the fact that that's what happened. Now, there's one more question, one more question that has to be asked regarding why we should be passionate about proclaiming the gospel. One more question that we have to ask as we proclaim the gospel. And the answer to this question is the biggest reason for being totally committed to proclaim it until we no longer have breath. It's the biggest reason of them all. Ready? Here's the the question and the answer. The question is this. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is the Savior who is the very essence of the gospel, the one who knew no sin and yet became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, the one that chose to be crushed under the full wrath and judgment of the Father for our sin in our place, allowing us to be adopted by the Father, enemies of God, allowing us to be adopted, fully embraced as sons and daughters of God. Is he, is Jesus not worthy of proclaiming to others the gospel we have been given the ability to receive. He is. He is worthy. We need to ask that to ourselves. Self, is he, is your savior who did all that he did for you, is he not worthy? And the answer, the resounding answer, the only answer that makes any sense is yes. He is most worthy. He is worthy to be obeyed, and he is worthy to be proclaimed.